Do you have questions about life and faith and God that remain unanswered? Do you feel like the Christian cliches are shallow and don't really get to the truth? Is this whole Christian thing rather uncertain for you? And, and does that uncertainty exclude you from true spirituality? My name is Skip Collins, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to explore concepts of life and faith and the Bible and Christianity. We'll challenge our traditional views and ideas, which at times will probably make us a little uncomfortable, but hopefully we'll come out on the other side more connected to our faith, to God, and to what we believe. So let's jump in to deeply spiritual, but rather uncertain. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. We are on episode number five. Just for interest sake, I record these podcasts in a little vocal booth that I built inside of a closet in my office. It is now December, which in Durban, South Africa is really hot. And so I didn't think about airflow when I built this. So it's really hot in here. So if you hear the drip of sweat on the microphone, you'll know exactly what that is. But I'm really glad you stopped by. Last week, I made the argument that all understanding of God begins and ends with Jesus. In Jesus, we see the complete, the full character of God, not just part of God's character, not one side of God's character, but the full of God's character. If you want to know who God is, don't start with the Old Testament and see who God is, but rather start with Jesus and let Jesus interpret what we read in the Old Testament. There are a lot of directions we could go from there, but I want to start today with this. When I look at the character of Jesus, what is incredibly obvious is that he is radically inclusive. Sometimes my wife tells me I get a little carried away with my adjectives and adverbs, and she's probably right because she usually is right about pretty much everything. So I wondered if I should use a word as radical as radically. So I looked it up and I tried to find something a little softer than saying radically inclusive, but I decided that the word actually might not even be strong enough. The inclusivity that Jesus brings both to the Jewish culture and to the Roman culture and to our modern culture is nothing short of radical and completely countercultural. So let me begin today with some of the easier stuff, and then we'll move to some of the more difficult stuff. Let's look at Jesus' friends. His disciples are this very diverse group of men. One is a zealot. That means he's an activist whose goal it is, is to overthrow the oppressive Roman government by violent force if necessary. Another one is a tax collector. That means he's a sellout to the Roman Empire and was benefiting from the oppression of the Jewish people. Some were fishermen, others came from other walks of life, some were brothers, some were friends before they became disciples. The short story is that this group of men is quite diverse. But beyond that, let's look at who Jesus hung out with, drunks and gluttons and prostitutes. At least that's how the religious people saw it. He would hang out with people that no respected Jewish rabbi should ever hang out with, and the religious people called him on it regularly. 
And then there's the women. There was this group of women that were a part of the crowd that were close friends of Jesus. Culturally, that was taboo. This group of women were a mixture of hookers and society women. Joanna, who was one of the women that is named in Luke, was the wife of a guy named Cusa, who was the treasurer for King Herod. It says in Luke that these women supported him financially, so indirectly, Herod was supporting the ministry of Jesus. I mean, talk about irony. The world that Jesus lived in was an us-and-them world. It was the haves against the have-nots. It was men over women. It was Jew versus Gentile. It was religious versus the non-religious. It was us versus them. Man, I'm so glad we've moved beyond that in our advanced state of humanity. But time after time, Jesus speaks and acts against this us versus them thing and into a place of radical inclusivity. There's the story of the woman that's caught in adultery. It says she was caught in the very act and brought to the center of the city to be publicly stoned. After all, that's what the law says should happen, right? Well, not exactly. The law says that the man and the woman should be stoned. And as she was caught in the act, I mean, what happened to the man? Was he maybe a prominent member of society or was he one of the religious elite? We don't know. But anyway, they bring this woman to Jesus, us versus them, the slut versus the religious, the sinners versus the saints. What do you suggest we do, Jesus? Jesus' reply is a reply of inclusivity. Whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone, is what Jesus said. Checkmate. Everybody walks away. Jesus helps us see that there isn't sinner versus saint. Actually, we're all sinners. There is no us versus them. But then something amazing happens because he tells her, neither do I condemn you, so go. The one guy who could have thrown the stone didn't. It's like he's saying to her, you have been included with the divine. There is even some kind of inclusivity between the divine and the human. How amazing is that? Then there's the story of the Samaritan woman. You may know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. I mean, they hated each other. It goes back all the way to when the Israelite kingdom split in two shortly after King Solomon's reign. The ten tribes of the north split from the two tribes in the south, and war broke out, and they have hated each other ever since. The land of the Samaritans was smack dab in the middle between Judea in the south, which is where Jerusalem was located, and Galilee in the north, where Jesus grew up. Jews that traveled between Galilee and Jerusalem would take an extra two days of walking to go around Samaria because they hated the Jews that much. But Jesus says, no, that's stupid. And he takes his disciples right through the middle of Samaria. There he meets a woman at a well. 
and it begins a conversation. I mean, this conversation is wrong on three different accounts. First of all, she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. Secondly, she was a woman and he was a man. And thirdly, he was a religious rabbi and she was, well, let's say her reputation was shaky at best. But Jesus treats her with respect and dignity. He sees her humanity, not her race or her gender, or even her lifestyle. He sees her dignity, not her shame. She asked them this question about where true worship happens. Is it in Jerusalem or is it in Samaria? That was the big question. It's an exclusive question. It's an us versus them question. And Jesus answers, and he says that one day, Everyone will worship in spirit and in truth. The answer is radical inclusivity. There are so many stories like this in the scriptures. Okay, let me, let me tell you one more. So Jesus comes to the temple in Jerusalem. The temple is comprised of several different parts. There's this thing called the Holy of Holies, It's the real exclusive part where only the high priest could enter and then only once a year. It is the place where God dwelt. Then there was a place where men could come and sacrifice to God. Just beyond that, there was a place where the women were allowed to go. And then outside of that, there was this massive courtyard called the Court of the Gentiles. Let me take a break in the story for just a moment because I want to point out something that I only noticed as I was preparing this. During the crucifixion of Jesus, right at the time he said, it is finished, the Bible tells us that the massive curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two, right down the middle. Now, in evangelical circles, we speak of the symbolism of that, the symbolism of the fact that we now all have access to God. There is no longer a need for a priest. There is no longer a need for a sacrifice. We see the symbolism from a very spiritual, mystical kind of point of view, which is not wrong. But what if it's more than that? What if God wants us to see something from a much more human perspective? See, the temple was very exclusive. Everything was divided by gender and race and privilege. At the moment of Jesus' death, something amazing happens. No longer is the temple the place of exclusion. Now the division of race and religiosity and gender and social economics are torn down. Now everybody is welcome. The tearing of the curtain of the temple is a statement of the radical inclusivity of God. The divisions do not exist. Anyway, back to the story. Jesus comes to the temple It's bustling with people. People have come to Jerusalem to worship God. And in order to do that, you had to make a sacrifice. Now, because people had to travel far, they would buy the sacrifice at the temple rather than trying to bring it with them. 
So there were all these stalls that were set up. Over here, you could buy a lamb if you could afford it, or there's a goat over there, or there's some turtle doves on the far side. It all seems pretty efficient and helpful, actually. But in order to buy, you had to use the currency of the temple because there were so many currencies out there. So there was one currency, and there was these places you could take your currency and exchange it for temple currency so that you could buy your animal. And of course, there were markups for all of these things, exchanging money and selling animals, all this. Now, what happens next is pretty much as radical as you can imagine. Jesus begins to turn over the tables and to drive all the animals out of the temple. For years, I had this picture of Jesus just losing it, just like freaking out, like anger coming out of his eyes and smoke coming out of his ears, probably because that was also how I saw God. Do I think Jesus was angry? Well, if standing up against injustice is anger, well, then maybe he was. The text doesn't actually say he got so mad he started turning over temples. In fact, it's much more deliberate than that. He goes away and he makes a whip, not for the people, by the way, but to drive out the animals because that's what you did. But he's planning this out in his head. He doesn't just lose it and start ranting and raging and screaming. It was a deliberate stand, a deliberate protest against the injustice that he saw. The temple was a place for everyone. It was a place of inclusivity, not exclusivity. If I see the full character of God in Jesus, then I have to understand that this God that we serve is a God of radical inclusivity, not a God of exclusivity. Okay, let's change tact here for a little bit because I feel like probably most people would agree with me so far. Jesus was inclusive as far as he welcomed people in his company. He stood for the poor and the oppressed. He stood up for those that had no voice. But what about statements around salvation? Because that seems very exclusive. Certainly people on the outside of Christianity see it as exclusive. We are right and everybody else is wrong. Again, it's back to this us versus them. So there are scriptures that people use to kind of prove this exclusivity thing. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Or 1 John 15, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Or even the words of Jesus that are recorded in John chapter 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are more than just these three verses, but it can sound very much like Jesus is the way, full stop, everybody else is wrong. But if we're going to get into a war of proof texting, which is very unhelpful in almost every situation, what do I do with other verses? Verses like God so loved the world that he gave. 
or Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it? Or what about the verse that says that God's desire is that everyone is saved? And then there's always the question that people always ask, what about people who grow up and never hear the name of Jesus? Are they being condemned to hell just because they were born in Iraq or in China? So there are basically three kind of theological views on this. And of course, there's all kinds of nuances in these. But very generally speaking, the first view is called pluralism. That is that essentially all roads lead to Rome. All religions lead to God. It doesn't matter what religion you embrace or whether you use the name Jesus or Hashem or Allah or Shiva. It's all really the same. That's what pluralism says. On the very opposite end of the debate is exclusivism. It's what many of us have been taught in our homes and our churches and our seminaries. It has been a foundational belief in modern evangelicalism. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you don't understand and accept the name of Jesus, you are doomed to a Christless eternity. It's not enough to be a really good person. It's not enough to be sincere. You must acknowledge and repent of your sin and accept the finished work of Christ on the cross. It's what evangelicalism considers to be the gospel. The gospel has been the driving force of missionaries from the West for centuries. Heck, I'm one of them. We left our comfortable home in Muskegon, Michigan with our two boys in tow to go live in Africa. Our motivation when we came here almost 30 years ago was to share this message, this gospel of Jesus. And quite frankly, it still is. Although my understanding of the gospel has changed a lot over the years. And that's probably a whole podcast in itself, so I'm not going to go down that road right now. So on one end of the spectrum, you have pluralism, and on the other, you have exclusivism. But in between those two, you have inclusivism. Inclusivism believes that it's possible to be, quote-unquote, saved, or in theological terms, justified, without explicit knowledge of Jesus or the work that he has done on the cross. So in other words, the person who grows up in China or Afghanistan and never really hears the name of Jesus still has access to salvation through the work of Jesus on the cross. Most of my life, I have believed an exclusivist message of the gospel. But I got to tell you, it has always bothered me. I really didn't know there was another way to look at it, but I've got to say I identify really strongly with this idea of inclusivism. Because over and over and over in the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, there is this language of radical inclusivity. God so loved the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. God is not willing that anybody should perish Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins, but not only ours, for the sins of the whole world. 
Go and read the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. The language there is incredibly inclusive, not exclusive. The poor, the meek, the just, these were all people that in the religious culture of the day were excluded, but Jesus goes out of his way to say that they are included in the kingdom. Every tribe and every nation is language that shows up regularly in the New Testament. Does every mean every? Or does it mean every tribe that the missionaries have managed to evangelize will be there? I would suggest that this idea of inclusivism shows up very early in the God story. In Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to a guy called Abram. It's really early in the story. Later, his name is changed to Abraham. And God tells Abram that he is going to bless him and make him a great nation. Then he says, all the nations of the world will be blessed by you. See, this blessing of God to Abram was meant to be incredibly inclusive. All the people, all the nations, but the people of Abram never actually understood that. They saw it as exclusive. God's blessing is for us, but the blessing was always meant for the nations. So Jesus shows up as the light of the world, as a disciple John writes. Jesus uses inclusive language. He includes people that everybody else has excluded. But what happens very quickly once Jesus descends back into heaven is that exclusivity comes back into the church with a vengeance. They have to have ecumenical councils in order to decide if and how they are going to include the Gentiles. Really? After all of that? And I would suggest that today we still struggle with exclusivism in the church. Because to be inclusive is really difficult. It is so much easier for me to be in a room with people that look like me and act like me and believe like me. So we create these homogeneous churches where there's little diversity and little inclusivity, and that is much more comfortable. Being inclusive is incredibly difficult. We have to let go of some of our beliefs, some of our traditions, or at least we have to hold on to them very loosely. I love this story in the New Testament of the early church. You find it in Acts chapter 14. They've been debating if and how the Gentiles could become a part of this movement. Many thought that the Gentiles must first become Jewish, and then they could convert to Christianity. I mean, how crazy is that? Anyway, they have this big powwow with all the church leaders, including Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, who is the brother of Jesus. And after much debate, James stands up and he says this, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles that are turning to God. In other words, guys, we are going to have to let go of some of our cherished law and cherished theology so that we can include these people. I'm sure the people thought they weren't really excluding the Gentiles. I mean, they could come in as long as they were willing to jump through all the hoops. 
But whenever you tell someone, we're happy to include you if you make them feel completely excluded. Inclusion is very difficult. We have to let go of some of our rules. We might have to let go of some of our doctrine because people need to be included. Many years ago, I was in a church that had a policy that if you wanted to become a member, you had to be baptized. And oh, by the way, infant baptism did not count. And so the church wanted to know if and when you were baptized before you could become a member. I mean, it was really crazy, really. It was harder to become a member of that church than it was to get into heaven. I'm sorry, but that is exclusion. We have made people feel excluded because of their color or their race. We have excluded by social economic standards. We have excluded by sexual orientation. We say everyone is welcome here as long as you fill in the blank. In my opinion, the church needs to practice the same radical inclusivity that Jesus lived for us. Because the God I know, the God that I serve, the God that I believe in, the God that I have given my life to is radically inclusive. If this is helpful, please be sure to describe through your favorite podcast app. Um, You can check out our website at skipcollins.com. Next week, we're going to look at the subject of wrath, anger, and vengeance. If my understanding of the character of God starts and ends with Jesus, what do I do with all the violent portrayals of God in the Old Testament? So, I'll see you next week. Shalom. Shalom.